Good morning. Welcome to the beginning of week two of 2021. I'm excited about our time in God's word. Uh, consider for a moment the term truth. In 2016, the Oxford Dictionary cited as their word for the year the term post-truth, hyphenated, of course, to indicate the loss of an objective standard for truth. In 2017, I believe it was the April issue, Time magazine emblazoned on a front cover the question, Is Truth Dead? Over the past five years, it has been noted in, in the uh, communication through our news media, uh, unique terms such as alternative facts uh, to justify misinformation. When considering how truth and the idea of truth has been abused over the years, I believe we as a culture have moved past the postmodern subjectivism of the late 20th century, which indicated that truth is relevant. And I believe we've digressed to this place where truth is now being ignored and dismissed. So how can you and I stay encouraged within a culture that seems to treat truth as as if it's dead, as if it no longer matters? Well, I want to welcome you to our study in Second Peter. The author of this powerful little epistle was writing into a culture not too dissimilar to ours. Theirs in the first century was a culture that also faced this challenge of truth being exploited and, and forgotten. But I love how the scripture in Second Peter reminds us to stay true to the, to the biblical truth that, that we have in our lives as followers of Christ. So as we enter into Second Peter, I invite you to focus with me on, on this encouragement concerning the truth of our faith, biblical truth. In chapter one, we, we were encouraged in our identity in Christ as this chapter opened. And verses one through 15 reminded us of who we are in Christ. This encouragement prepared us to live practically uh, this coming year. Now, as we move to the second half of chapter one, we're encouraged, uh, in our Christian truth and the, in the truth of our Christian faith. So that as we are prepared for the coming years, we can certainly live in the truth of our faith and the truth can become formative in our lives. Yes, the, the book of Second Peter is certainly a book that is framed within the spirit of preparedness as the author, even in verses 12 through 15 of chapter one has said, I, I know that you're established in the truth, but I am reminding you of the truth. So that after I am gone, you can continue therein. And of course, I believe the author was referencing his own coming death. And so now as we look at these words that were written in the latter half of the first century, we have some incredible reminders of, of the truth of our faith. So today, be encouraged in the truth of God's word. Not only be encouraged in your Christian identity, but be encouraged in the truth of your Christian faith. Now, the, the evidence of, of truth being the, the focus of these concluding verses of chapter one becomes very apparent uh, as you look through these verses. In verse 16, we are, we are told of, of the author being an eyewitness to the truth. In verse 17 and 18, the author actually reminds us that he heard the voice of God speaking. In verse 19, the phrase 
prophetic word is referenced. In verse 20, the term scripture is used. And then in verse 21, we read the closing phrase, the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So all through these verses, the emphasis becomes God's truth and and God's word. So from these verses, I'd like to share with you several facts concerning the reality of biblical truth. This becomes great encouragement for us in a uh, truth is dead culture that we see around us. This becomes encouragement, but also this becomes preparation for how we continue in this culture, because it seems that uh, that this digression with truth is going to continue in these coming days and months and years ahead. So how can we remain encouraged? Well, we hold tight to the one truth, the absolute truth, God's truth, demonstrated through the scripture, fulfilled in Jesus Christ. For there is only one source of truth. So I can encourage you with this. Truth is not dead because God, through Christ, has given us absolute truth. God is truth. Jesus is the truth. And so we look in these verses to be encouraged with the truth of our Christian faith. Uh, Let me share with you several facts of the reality of biblical truth. Verse 16 opens with this phrase, for we did not follow cleverly devised stories or tales. The actual Greek term, uh, it, it expresses this, For we did not follow creatively crafted stories of man. Uh, What is the author presenting here? Here's the first fact of biblical truth. Biblical truth represents the story of God's interaction with man. The author, Peter, was not following the carefully crafted stories of man of the first century. So what was Peter following? Well, he would tell us in coming verses, he was following the the reality of how God has interacted with man. Peter's words that, again, were written in the second half of the first century are are now a part of the scripture. And these truths were not based on the cleverly crafted tales and, and myths that were circulating around the world. These words were not based upon man's speculation. They were based upon one absolute God's interaction with man. So the first fact of biblical truth is this. Biblical truth represents the story of God's interaction with man. You know, apologists cite three tenets that we can hold tight to in our defense of the Christian faith. One is the existence of God. The second is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the third is the reality and the reliability of the scriptures. And so we know that scripture, God's truth, is is firm and established and completely reliable because of this first fact. Biblical truth represents the story of God's interaction with man. Uh, The Bible involves 40 authors, shepherds and priests and farmers, uh, writing over a period of 1,500 years in three languages. But even the, the most agnostic mind would have to admit to the overwhelming uh, complement and, and unity of, of the entire word of God. So biblical truth represents the story of God's interaction with man, which is why there is harmony from the beginning all the way to the end. Every part of God's truth, of biblical truth, represents God's interaction with man ultimately being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So how is the Bible so 
reliable. Well, let's move to the second fact. Peter continued to write, I'm not following carefully crafted stories of man because when we came to you concerning the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus, we did so as eyewitnesses. The second fact of biblical truth is this. Biblical truth is always grounded in the historical fact. The historical facts of the scripture are true. The facts of biblical truth is just that. They are facts. And I love how Peter uh, juxtaposed the the myths of men that were circulating in the first century, some even finding their way into the church. And Peter writes, we're not following man's speculations or man's thoughts. We are we're eyewitnesses to the Christ. A part of what Peter will unfold in just a moment is that beautiful historical account of the transfiguration of Christ uh, noted in the narrative of Matthew 17, Mark 9, and Luke chapter 9. The synoptic gospels demonstrate this incredible encounter of that holy mount where the glory of Christ was seen just to a few disciples, Peter, James, and John. And, And Peter writes facts from the experience of his life with Christ that become the the grounding for what he is communicating here. So biblical truth is always grounded in historical fact. Uh, the, the C.S. Lewis Institute offers three tests for the reliability of biblical history. I love this. Test number one is called the bibliographical test, meaning that all of the sacred and ancient manuscripts were so preserved that we now have the full inspired word of God as God has desired. There's also a test called the internal test, signifying that within the word of God, the authors and the books and the writings are all one thing. They all complement perfectly. And then uh, there is a, a third test, the external test, which references major global historic events that are actually accurately and perfectly uh, defined and paralleled here. And so from, from these types of tests, over and over again, it is, it is proven from any perspective that biblical history is perfect and reliable and, and biblical truth is grounded on the very history that is reflected in God's story. Now let's go to a third truth of, of biblical truth. Biblical truth, and I love this because this becomes so evident in these verses. Biblical truth resolves the tension between what is true and what is error. Biblical truth always resolves the tension between what is true and what is error. And sadly, many people live within that tension. Uh, Within the audience to to which the author writes, there were many in that tension because of false teachings and heretical personalities that were, were causing confusion within the church. But biblical truth always resolves the tension that many feel between what is true and what is error. You do not have to be confused. Earlier, I referenced the term post-truth. The Cambridge Dictionary defines post-truth, which is a, a, a very clear and accurate assessment of where our present culture lies. Cambridge Dictionary defines post-truth as a situation in which people accept an argument based on emotions and personal belief instead of facts. This is what was happening in Peter's contemporary setting. There were those who were disenchanted with the promise of of the second coming of Christ. And because that 
promise seemed delayed, uh, many uh, within the church began to develop other thoughts, other stories, other ideas that that conflicted with with the truth. And so this uh, yeah this error, this uh, environment and culture of error began to increase. But Peter stayed with the truth of Christ. You see this in verses. 16 and 17, we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. He received honor and glory from God. We heard God himself utter that this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And so the truth that we're reading is, is built upon Jesus Christ. And this truth always resolves the tension between what is true and what is error. If you look forward in chapter 2, we're giving a little bit of evidence of the heretical teacher's uh, that, that Peter had to confront. And in chapter 2, verse 2, we are told that that these uh, heretical teachers uh, maligned the truth. They they brought truth into disrepute. Verse 3 of chapter 2 uh, expresses how the heretical teachers exploited the truth. Uh, their own lifestyles suppressed the truth. They're reminiscent of what Paul taught in Romans 1.18, that it was unrighteousness in the lives of many that suppressed the truth of Jesus, the truth of, of God. And so this is referenced as well here. And and the, these errorists who were, were influencing many Christians of the first century were, were put in their place because Peter simply stuck to the truth of Jesus. Even when chapter 3 opens, Peter is making reference to the commandments of the Lord and Savior that he revealed to his disciples and his apostles. So chapter 1, the focus is Christ. Chapter 3, the focus is Christ. Chapter 2 illustrates the heretical teachers that were causing conflict in the church. And so this stands to prove that biblical tension, a biblical truth resolves the tension that exists between what is true and what is error, the power of biblical truth based upon Jesus Christ. Now, there's a fourth fact of biblical truth I'd love to share with you straight from this text. Biblical truth, uh, biblical truth and genuine experience with God always exist in harmony. Biblical truth and a genuine experience with God always exist in harmony. And notice Peter, the author here, references himself as being among the witnesses, an eyewitness. Uh, the Mount of Transfiguration, described again in the in the synoptic, synoptic Gospels, demonstrates how Jesus and His glory was fully revealed uh, to the three disciples, and and this became a significant mark in in Peter's life. So that even now, Peter stands against the heresy that was developing by stating Jesus is who he said he was. Jesus is God's son. And Peter saw this firsthand. His experience and the truth of scripture were in perfect harmony. And so biblical truth always, always uh, harmonizes with one's genuine experience with God. And, and Peter proves this as he references that moment on the Holy Mount where he saw the glory of Christ. And then he, he spoke to those who were naysayers of the truth to say, hey, what Jesus said is true. It will come to pass. He will return. This is guaranteed truth. And the biblical truth we read here was, was in perfect harmony with Peter's personal experience with Jesus Christ. So biblical truth is completely reliable 
and the only absolute to which we can grasp why because biblical truth represents the story of God's interaction with man biblical truth is grounded in historical facts biblical truth resolves the tension between what is true and error and biblical truth is always in perfect harmony with our personal experiences with God a young man approached me once and and I believe his intentions were, 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 were good, but he was so misguided. He said, Pastor Ken, I believe God is telling me that I no longer need to be a part of the church. And so my response was, well, the Bible tells us that we should be a part of the church. So which should I believe? What God has revealed to you or what the scripture states? Well, that question, it tended to be a rhetorical question, left him silent. And then I was able to really encourage him in, in the truth that sometimes our inclinations are false and they must be tested with, with God's word. Biblical truth is always in harmony with how God is revealing himself to us. God would never contradict his truth. God would never contradict his nature. And, and this is a, a beautiful truth. Uh, Paul wrote to Timothy and said, God is faithful and will not disown himself. And so... We know biblical truth is reliable because it is in perfect harmony with how God has allowed man to experience uh, himself. And, and what a beautiful reminder this is. There are a few more facts here I'd love to share with you concerning biblical truth uh, before we close. As we continue to read through these uh, closing words of 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, notice this. Biblical truth represents the inspired word of God. Now, I know that may sound very fundamental, but we need to understand how significant uh, this fact becomes. Biblical truth represents the, the inspired word of God. As we, as we move to uh, verse 19, uh, this is what we read. So we have the prophetic word made sure. Again, the author is writing in reflection of his own experience of Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration, the author has already said, we're not following the, the false teachings and the cleverly crafted stories that, that uh, seem to, to work their way into, into the influence of the church. We are, we are following the truth of Christ and how Jesus has made himself known to us. And we're, we're following here in verse 19, we are following the, the prophetic word. So Peter again is, has explained in verse 19, so we have the prophetic word made sure to which you would do well to pay attention. Again, biblical truth represents the inspired word of God. Uh, some scholarship would indicate that this phrase, prophetic word, is actually a phrase that is that is not as narrow as one might think it is relating to the specific Old Testament prophets. In fact, the word could actually, the phrase could actually indicate all of the scripture. All of the truth that has been given uh, to man uh, through the Holy Spirit, through man to man. And, and this phrase, prophetic word, demonstrates how God divinely imparted to those men, to those people, to those whom he set apart to, to continue his word to others. And so I, I love this phrase, prophetic word. It reminds us again that the whole of Scripture is is completely inspired is is from God and and not from from any impulse of man biblical truth uh, represents the the inspired uh, word of God God's voice 
on the mount that the Peter referenced when God spoke during that moment of transfiguration where the glory of Christ was ocularly apparent, was very visible. During that experience, God spoke and said, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Peter heard his voice. But I love how in verse 19, when, when the scripture is referenced, there seems to be this beautiful compliment that the voice of God heard on the mount is just as clear as his voice being conveyed in the scripture. So Peter concludes in verse 19, we have the prophetic word, we have the scriptures, and they are made sure because God has spoken and, and the scriptures are his word, his inspired word speaking to us. And I, I love the the reflection of the, the inspired word in 2 Timothy 3.16, uh, God's word is inspired. It's a compound word in the Greek, meaning God breathed. God has, has breathed his word. God has given us his word. The word is inspired. And biblical truth represents that divinely inspired word. And there's a, one or two other facts I want to share with you uh, before our time uh, is gone. As we continue reading, we come to the end of verse 19 where that word, the prophetic word, the scripture, is described as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. Another fact of biblical truth is this. Biblical truth represents your guidance, your direction, and your instruction for life. Biblical truth represents your guidance, your direction, and and your instruction for life. Uh, the, the imagery of lamp can reference the, the truth of God. We're reminded of Psalm 119, verse 105, thy word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. When lamp is used in correlation with God's truth, the references of the truth of God directing us. Uh, the lamp can also represent the messianic age that Christ has come. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, we are told that there are people who walked in darkness that have now seen a great light. Jesus has come to be that light. And so not only is light uh, referenced uh, as the scripture guiding us, but light is referenced as the truth and presence of Christ uh, leading us and, and, and changing our lives. But we also are told in John chapter 1 that, that Jesus in him was the light of life. And so we know that light also demonstrates that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And so when we read here in the words from Second Peter that we need to pay attention to the scripture, to the prophetic word, because it is like a lamp shining in a dark place. We, we see a reference to, to God direct, directing our paths and, and the very truth of Jesus guiding our way and, and his light illumining the darkness in our life and changing us through his forgiveness and his redemption. So this is an incredible reminder of biblical truth. Biblical truth represents that God in Christ has given us guidance, direction, and instruction for life. I even love that reminder from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 when we're told that the light of the glory of God is in the face of Christ. So every essence of, of Jesus represents the light and the revelation of God that changes, guides, and directs us and gives us spiritual life. And so biblical truth is our guidance, our direction, and our instruction for life. 
Also, another fact here as we move into verse 20, biblical truth, and this is very important to list as a fact, biblical truth is never left to man's interpretation. Look at verse 20. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Biblical truth is never left to man's interpretation. Truth is always a supernatural uh, interaction. Truth never comes from the whims of man. Uh, This phrase from verse 20, uh, Scripture is not a matter of one's own interpretation, really gains strength from that term, interpretation. For the word uh, was used in an identical way in Acts. uh, and, And in Acts chapter 19, verse 39, what is referenced there is a case being settled. And so here, the force of that term teaches us this. No man has ever settled the case of God's truth. No man can can create the authority and no man can create enough emphasis to declare that, that, that God's truth is truth. That declaration, that emphasis, that settling of the truth can only come from God, not man's interpretation. So when we preach and teach and announce the word of God, we're reflecting what God has already concluded. And so, yes, scripture is never based on man's interpretation and is never left for man to settle what is to be believed and what is not to be believed. But this is what some of the errorists were doing in the, in the day contemporary to these words. Many were taking a truth and twisting it and forming it and morphing it because they did not like how the truth was 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 uh, being played out or or they didn't like how God was was not yet fulfilling what they thought God would do and so men began to negotiate the truth and and begin to interpret the truth based on their own inclinations verse 20 reminds us no that is not biblical truth biblical truth is never produced when man attempts his own inclinations. Biblical truth does not come from man's interpretation. So, so, so biblical truth is never left to that. It's never left to how man interprets. Now, I want to take you to a final fact of biblical truth in verse 21. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. That was already established in verse 20. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. A final fact of biblical truth I'll share with you is this. Biblical truth always comes through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is so vital. Biblical truth always comes through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Uh, The writer is reminding the first century church and us not to be carried away by errors and false teachings and whims, but to be moved by the Spirit within us. If our faith is in Christ, We have abiding in us the presence of Christ through the Holy Spirit, and he is active in his church and in his people. The Holy Spirit is active, and the Holy Spirit guides us in God's truth in very specific ways. I'll give you two examples. First, from John 14, verse 26, we are told this is the Holy Spirit. Jesus actually said the Holy Spirit will come, the Spirit will come, the Helper will come, and he will teach you all things that I have already said, he will remind you of what I have said. The Holy Spirit is active in us. 
And he will recall supernaturally to us what Jesus has said. Ours is to be responsible to opening up our minds and our hearts to the truth of Jesus as we have embraced it within the scripture. And as we continue in that discipline, the Holy Spirit allows our hearts to be open to understand more fully what Christ has said and to be reminded of the truths of Jesus. So the Spirit of God living within his people reminds us of the truths of Christ and all that Christ has said. The second role of the Spirit concerning biblical truth is this. The Spirit helps us to more deeply grasp the truths. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13 reminds us that the Spirit teaches us the Word and, and gives us spiritual thoughts and spiritual words. Here's the outcome I believe that verse teaches. The Holy Spirit allows us to, to understand more of the truth of God's Word so that through spiritual thoughts and through spiritual words that come from biblical truth, we can move from simply trying to grasp the Word to the point of the word grasping us. I believe this was Paul's intent. His desire, and I believe it's equally the author's desire here, that the scripture, that the truth of God, that biblical truth would grasp us as much as us trying to grasp the truth. Because the Holy Spirit desires within us that the truth would take hold of our lives. So I encourage you, don't just try to... Uh, be in the word, allow the word to be in you. Don't just try to grasp, but allow the word to grasp you and to come alive in you. This is indeed the role of the Holy Spirit concerning truth. So biblical truth always comes through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I've shared these facts with you. There are many that we shared. There are many that we could still discover in these verses. But the purpose for these facts is very simple. This becomes a beautiful picture of, of the reliability and the firmness and the accuracy and the definiteness of God's word, his truth, biblical truth. And in an age when truth is being forgotten and dismissed, oh, how we as followers of, of Jesus, as children of God, need to stand firm on his truth and and it was certainly on God's heart. He certainly placed it on my heart to encourage you in this way today, that as we anticipate and, and move more deeply into this year, uh, that we would not be discouraged when we see that, that truth is being forgotten or that, or that truth is, is, is something that's questioned everywhere we turn. Don't be discouraged by this. Uh, be encouraged that the only source of truth, God himself in Christ, is, is truth that is absolute. And it's truth upon which you can depend. So build your life on God's truth. Build the life of your children, your grandchildren, and so on, on the truth of God's word. I want to close with this reference. A, a recent cover story from the publication, it's an international magazine titled The Economist. A, a recent cover story was titled this way, Yes, I Lied to You, This is a Post-Truth World. I mean, what a title of a magazine or uh, of a magazine article. The article was analyzing the dishonesty that's wreaking havoc in our, in our politics, in our journalism, in our social media, and in many other areas of life. One expert was quoted in this article as saying, right now, 
Most believe it pays to be outrageous more than to be truthful. So again, everywhere we look, there is a negotiation with the truth. But this article also pointed out something that I, I think is important for us to understand. This article pointed out that one of the most effective ways that truth is being passed off as, as lies, or, or, or people are actually passing off lies as truth. And one way that this is being effective or, or being, being possible is due to something that is now called a glut of information. Uh, some experts from the University of North Carolina and others have cited even nations like China and Turkey and even our own nation that that tends to to allow lies to be seen as truth, but because there is a glut of information, meaning we are so saturated with information that it's difficult for us to notice what is being passed off as truth, but it's actually a lie. Isn't this amazing? There's so much information around us that that information becomes a guise for the lies that are, that are being fed through through many venues of social media. And so today I just want to encourage you. In fact, I want to uh, want to challenge you to allow God's truth to make you more alert to what's happening around us. Let's not let's not fall to the glut of information where we grow numb to to those uh, lies that are being passed as truth, our truth that is being passed off as lies. Let's stay close to God's word and the really true way for this to happen is is to stay close to Jesus Christ, to trust him, to follow him, and then to see that biblical truth is is the only absolute to which we can cling. So truth is not dead. Truth is alive. Truth is God in Christ. And oh, I pray that you'll stay close to that truth. This was the encouragement God intended to be shared to the first century church as recorded at the close of 2 Peter chapter 1. This is the message intended for us today as God has desired that we would be encouraged the absoluteness and the reliability of God's truth, the truth of our Christian faith, biblical truth. Let's cling to the truth of God. I'd love to pray with you. Father God, thank you for speaking to our hearts. Thank you that your word has come alive and I pray God that we'll continue to grow in your word. Father, uh, help all that are listening today to realize that each Sunday, what we do is not just something that, that is tradition or ritual, but Father, we truly posture ourselves in worship before you so that we can hear from your word and, and hear from you and know that your truth sustains us. And we know, Father, that, that your truth is Jesus and Jesus fulfills your truth. And so, God, I pray that at this moment that our faith is looking to you, that, that if there is someone here listening and and has never placed their faith in Christ. Oh, Father, I pray that they would make that decision today. And Father, for, for that one that knows you and is striving to follow you, uh, excite his or her heart more deeply into your truth. Thank you, God, for speaking to us today. And we commit uh, our journey into this year to you for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. And together we said, amen. Right now on the screen, there is a a, a website location and a phone number you can text. I know it's there briefly, but if you'll take a look at that, this is your way to reach out to us if God has spoken to your heart in any way today. We desire to have conversation with you. We, we desire to lead you into an understanding of what it means to know Jesus personally. If you've never accepted him and, and his forgiveness 
uh, into your life. And if you're following Jesus and yet you're struggling, we, we, we desire to be there to encourage you and to, and to lift you up in those difficult moments. So use this, uh, these media contacts to reach out if you can, and we'll be certain to be uh, back in touch with you very quickly. Thank you so much for being a part of this worship today. I'm, I'm excited about our continued journey in this, in this study titled Prepared. We so desperately need to be prepared for what is ahead. And the greatest preparation from the text today is to stay true, true and close to the truth of God and to Jesus Christ. So let's do that together. Love you a lot. God bless. See you soon.